a 10-year-old girl slapped in the face by a school bus driver for the high crime and misdemeanor of pulling her mask under her nose. Plus, the five stories the mainstream media refused to report to you this week. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Thanks for joining us today. I aim to be your go-to podcast when you need to know, is that true? What are the facts? Is this reality? The left's Achilles heel, of course, is either they lie and they assume that you won't fact check them, or they're ignorant and assume that you won't do your research. Well, I know my audience does their research. So together, you and I are going to destroy that modus operandi, and we are going to be champions of reality instead. Because now is not the time to cave to the radical left or to corporate wokeism, or cultural Marxism, or establishment Republicans, the squishes, or to AOC, or teachers unions, or big tech. No. Now is the time to be a culture warrior and never back down. So do not be a squish, because we have no room for squishes on this show. Okay, a 10-year-old girl, a little child, was slapped in the face by the bus driver of her school bus after she pulled her mask under her nose. Speaking of young people standing up for themselves and doing what's right, I want to encourage young people listening to this show to sign up to attend the Young America's Foundation's National Conservative Student Conference. To get more information about this, you can go to yaf.org event. This is a great event. I've spoken at this event in the past. If you are a college student or if you know a college student who wants to hang out with other young conservatives, you might not find a lot of them on your liberal college campus. If you want some people that are like-minded, want to make friends, want to be inspired and empowered to fight the culture wars alongside people like me, I have the perfect opportunity for you. The Young America's Foundation is hosting their annual National Conservative Student Conference in the great open free state of Texas. That means no masks. Thank you very much. And it's going to be an event that you don't want to miss. I, Like I said, I've spoken at this event in the past. They always have a great lineup of speakers. This year, you'll hear from people like Vice President Mike Pence from policy experts like Congressman Chip Roy and Senator Ted Cruz, from thought leaders like Lila Rose and Ryan Anderson. You'll get to learn about everything that makes our nation great, free market, life, how it's important that we limit our government's capacity to do us harm. And more importantly, you'll get to learn what you can do to make a real difference. And did I mention it only costs $150 to attend this five-night, one-of-a-kind program? That includes your meals, your hotel, almost everything, $150 total. So go to yaf.org slash events right now to sign up for YAF's National Conservative Student Conference. And please tell them the Liz Wheeler Show sent you. You aren't going to want to miss this. Okay, so this 10-year-old baby girl, I mean, picture a 10-year-old girl, a very small child. She said her mask was making her sick, so she put her mask under her nose. She didn't even take it fully off. She pulled it under her nose. She was on the school bus at the time, and the bus driver confronted her about it and told her to wear it above her nose. When she resisted, that's the word the bus driver used, when she resisted, he slapped her in the face. He slapped her in the face. The little girl then had the presence of mind after she had had this abuse inflicted on her. She asked to get off the bus And the slapping bus driver refused. He would not allow this girl to get off the bus after he abused her. When I say that face mask mania is nuts, this story infuriates me beyond belief. I cannot imagine how I would react if my little girl, my baby daughter, were subjected to this kind of abuse, especially, especially for something like pulling the face mask under your nose because you felt sick. What would you expect her to do? Do you want her to pass out? Do you want her to throw up? Do you want her to continue to feel ill? The bus driver's name is Bertram 
Jacques, he this happened in the Fremont County School District. Okay. The school district issued a statement. They did fire the bus driver. This is their statement, though. They said, We believe it is never okay to lay a hand on a child. The district responded quickly to the situation by placing the driver on administrative leave so that we could fully investigate the incident. Local police were involved during the investigation as well as us being in contact with the child's family. The driver's action justified termination of employment as it goes against district policy and our values. Then they go on. They say, we are very saddened by this incident. Our goal every day is to transport students safely to school and back home But that can only happen when everyone, including students and staff, follows the rules. We are currently working to identify next steps to help our drivers with strategies designed to support a safe ride to and from school, end quote. That can only happen, they say. A safe ride can only happen when everyone, including students and staff, follow the rules. If this isn't victim shaming, I don't know what it is. They're literally this close to justifying the child abuse inflicted on this tiny little girl by a grown man, the bus driver. If the rules aren't followed by students, then we can't facilitate a safe drive. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And of course, we know that masks, this this contradicts the science of the thing anyway, right? This this is not a controversial thing to say. COVID-19 is not serious for children. Children are more likely to die from the flu than they are to die from COVID-19. You can check the government's own data for that one. Children are also not significant vectors of transmission of COVID-19, and school administrators and teachers who teach in person are not contracting COVID-19 at higher rates because they are surrounded by children, okay? So COVID-19, when it comes to children, when it comes to school, it's not a big risk. Not for teachers, not for administrators, not for children. That's not even taking into consideration the anti-science ideology of the pro-maskers, which the science shows the Danish study specifically proved this with COVID-19. This is not hypothetical. This was not done in a lab. This was not studied with the flu. This was not in another country. Another year, the Danish study proved that with COVID-19, cloth masks and surgical masks do not make a statistical difference in the transmission of COVID-19. The only type of masks that actually work to stop the transmission or prevent some of the transmission of the COVID-19 virus are N95s. Okay, we've known this all along. Dr. Fauci knew this last year. That's why he flip-flopped on masks so many times. We all know this. N95s are the only type of mask that work against this type of virus. So not only are children not a risk to of contracting this virus and getting it in a serious way themselves, they're not a risk of transmission to the adults surrounding them and the face masks that they're being forced to wear, which it doesn't matter because they're not at risk and they're not putting other people at risk. The masks themselves don't do anything except obviously make this child sick because they're not wearing N95s. But who cares about any of that? Who cares about the facts before you slap a child in the face for pulling her mask under her nose because it was making her feel sick and then refusing to let her off the bus when she asked? Where does this fear, this delusion, this anti-science paranoia come from? Well, this last year, it's come from the COVID-19 task force from the White House, from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx. It's come from the World Health Organization. It's come from the CDC, the NIH, public health officials in states across the country. And this builds on what we talked about two days ago, about Dr. Fauci and the NIH and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, right? The NIH, the CDC. These agencies are compromised. The CDC in particular is compromised. In the case of kids in school, especially teachers unions and not science are in control of public policy. And the problem here is that the CDC has control over aspects of our lives. So how did the CDC get so much power 
when it is an agency of the federal government staffed with unelected bureaucrats. Unelected bureaucrats, by the way, have wrecked our country, yet we have no recourse to vote them out of office or to recall them if they're already in office. So let's talk about this. First of all, before we go any further, take off your mask. At this point, if we're complying, it's our fault because we know the science. We know the science of COVID-19. We know who's at risk. We know where transmission happens. We know the ineffectiveness of cloth face masks, of surgical face masks. If your government official, your public health official is trying to force you, if they're mandating masks, at this point, if we're complying, then it's our fault. If you're wearing a mask outside, it's not the fault of government officials, it's your fault. Take it off. Okay, speaking of our behavior, so many of you are subscribing to my friend Spencer Clavin's podcast, Young Heretics, that I'm sorry to report he is getting a big head. It's so big, it rivals the size of his biceps. Nonetheless, I do encourage you, if you have not already, please go check it out. My husband actually told me just this morning that he had not listened to Spencer Clavin's podcast before, but after hearing me talk about it on a previous episode of our show, he is now a fan. So Spencer, there you go. Best man in the world is now a subscriber to your podcast. You can listen to Young Heretics wherever you get your podcast. You can go to youngheretics.com. It's really a good podcast, right? And it's not just because Spencer Clavin is the son of Andrew Clavin. It is because Spencer, like you and like me, is out there fighting the culture wars. He's fighting against cancel culture and the people that are trying to destroy everything that makes America great. He's fighting against them. He also loves to read, so this is fun for me to listen to since I also love to read. He walks through different books, different literature, Western literature, sometimes music, sometimes films. He breaks down why these works are relevant to the crazy world around us today. It's entertaining, it's fun, and it's so important in the fight to preserve everything we love about the West. So go right now and subscribe to his podcast and listen at youngheretics.com. Okay, so let's get back to the CDC and the NIH and the unelected bureaucrats in the swamp in Washington, D.C., who have so much control over our lives, yet we have no control over them. We have no control over whether they hold their jobs, whether they're fired, because we don't vote them into office. They're appointed. How do we drain the swamp? I mean, we were all excited four years ago when Donald Trump said that he was going to go to Washington, D.C. and drain the swamp. This was actually not even a partisan message. A lot of people on both sides of the aisle were tired of elite po elitist politicians abusing their power and wanted to kick them out of Washington, D.C. But how do we drain the swamp? Well, we can't successfully drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. unless we know what causes the problem. Why does the swamp exist? It's kind of like diagnosing a medical problem, right? Sure, you can take Motrin for a headache, but how do you actually cure the headache if you haven't diagnosed the problem as caffeine withdrawal or sinus infection or, God forbid, a brain tumor or a migraine or et cetera, et cetera? You have to know where the problem came from before you can eradicate it. It's kind of like the Washington, D.C. swamp. Where did the swamp come from? How did this happen? Let's journey back. The real name for the swamp or the deep state, it's the same thing, right, is the administrative state. The administrative state is composed of government employees and officials in these agencies in the executive branch of our federal government who were not elected. They were not appointed. They have no accountability to voters or even to our elected representatives. They're nearly impossible to fire. And yet, they have the power to impose rules and regulations on us, on we the people. We're supposed to be free. We're supposed to elect the people that govern us. 
These swamp creatures, though, they can stay in their positions of power even when administrations transition or politicians are voted out of office. The swamp creatures stay, and these swamp creatures wield incredible power. And yes, they've also been known to abuse their power just a few times, just a little bit, just a little bit of abuse. Here's the thing. The administrative state is obviously not part of the Constitution. This is the first thing that always strikes me. So where did it come from? Where did it come from? The administrative state is a very clear violation of the separation of powers among the legislative, executive, and judicial branches in our federal government. Very clear, very clear violation. Yet this violation has not stopped the legislative branch, that's our Congress members, from giving away their legislative power to the executive branch agencies. Okay, they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to take responsibility for legislating and for rulemaking, but they don't. They legislate away their own power And then the Supreme Court hasn't stopped it. The Supreme Court defers to these agencies on rulemaking. Here's what I mean. So we have this idea currently in our judicial branch that the courts should defer to the so-called expertise, and I put that in quotation marks, of these individual federal agencies for rulemaking as long as the legislative branch has delegated their powers to the agencies. Okay, but the problem is this violates the idea of separation of powers as created by the founding fathers. So why is the Supreme Court let it happen? I don't know. I don't know. By the way, when we're talking about separation of powers, I highly recommend that you read John Locke's theory on government on which our founding principles were based so that you understand that separation of powers was critical to preventing our government from arbitrarily ruling over the people with zero accountability and violating our rights in the process. That was the intention of our founding fathers, to separate powers and therefore protect people, yours and my individual rights, okay? So when did we get so off track in violating the separation of powers like this? Who did this? We have to ask these questions. If we want to drain the swamp, we have to know where it came from, who did this in order to know how to undo it. Okay, so who did this? Well, the short answer is progressives did this, duh. Obviously, that's not surprising. Progressives who attacked our constitutionally enshrined view of limited government. And it started with Woodrow Wilson. Essentially, by the way, the progressives behind this creation of the administrative state, which we know today is the swamp or the deep state, they wanted an autocracy. We do not want an autocracy. Our country is not an autocracy. But they, that's what they wanted. So Woodrow Wilson was the 28th president of the United States from 1913 to 1921. And Wilson just didn't agree with the founders that the purpose of our government was to protect the rights of the people. No. Woodrow Wilson thought that government should do, quote, what the times demand. Could you be more vague? Could there be more vulnerability to abuse when you are that vague? Wilson also very naively envisioned this neutral administrative class, neutral, and I'm talking about politically neutral, who would supposedly operate the government from an administration purpose perspective in good faith, supposedly, again, without being influenced by politics. And I I can't even get this sentence out because it's so unbelievable to me. Amazing that after just over 100 years since the U.S. literally fought a war against bad faith, tyrannical politicians in England, that an American president could be so naive and so dumb as to think that mankind no longer has a lust for power and that we can staff an unaccountable bureaucratic federal government with neutral employees who would make rules only in good faith without letting politics tinge them. It's so ridiculous, so absurd. Woodrow Wilson also argued that it was time for the Constitution to evolve. He wanted a living Constitution. 
Now, this actually stands to reason because Wilson was inspired by a college professor named Frank Goodnow. Frank Goodnow openly argued that the Founding Fathers' theory that government's purpose was to protect the natural rights of the citizens was, quote, worse than useless because such a theory, quote, retards development. What development, bro? What development? Human nature is human nature. Human nature is timeless. The only thing that develops is ideology. We don't want an ideological government. Okay. Now, for many years in our nation, these radical progressive ideas were stopped by the non-delegation theory, which, as the name suggests, it did not allow the legislature to give away their power to unaccountable executive agencies, right? And this is where the Supreme Court had a role in this. But following Woodrow Wilson's presidency and his radical progressive ideas permeating at least the political class and prepping the foundation for the future administrative state, the deep state, the swamp that we're talking about, after the year 1935, the Supreme Court stopped applying the non-delegation theory altogether. And what did we get as a result? We got FDR's New Deal. The FDR's New Deal actually created the new bureaucracy in the executive branch that Woodrow Wilson had just envisioned. A new executive bureaucracy that didn't just include executive powers as delegated by the Constitution, but also included legislative and judicial powers not delegated by the Constitution. A critical violation of the separation of powers in our federal government as laid out in the United States Constitution. So first, FDR. Then we got LBJ's Great Society, which just further damaged the separation of powers and instead empowered swamp creatures to rule behind the backs of our elected officials. Which, again, this could not have happened if our elected officials had not given away their own power, which they have zero right to do. And by the way, Woodrow Wilson's idea of this politically neutral class of administrative state civil servants Let's check out how did that work out? How did that work out? Well, according to FEC records, as reported by The Hill, 95% of political donations during the 2016 election, this from federal government employees, went to Hillary Clinton. 95%. Yeah. So much for politically neutral, unencumbered by partisan political agendas. Did not happen. So as you can see, what used to be a relatively straightforward federal government structure, the legislative branch made the laws, the executive branch enforced the laws, and the judicial branch ensured that laws didn't violate the Constitution. This was just turned on its head. It was eviscerated. And so now, now what we face, it's not just a matter of one or two or three or a dozen corrupt deep state operatives violating our rights. It's not one Fauci or two Fauci's. It's a structural problem at the highest levels of our government, a fundamental violation of the separation of powers as dictated by our constitution. So you can also see then why simply firing Fauci or firing any other individual swamp creature is kind of like playing whack-a-mole. If you fire one, another one's just gonna pop up in the same place unless we fix the fundamental problem. Unfortunately, one president cannot fix this problem alone. It requires the legislative branch to stop delegating their power to the executive agencies, and it requires the judiciary to reject the administrative state on a constitutional basis. The problem is Congress members, this includes many Republicans, they don't actually want to drain the swamp. No, the swamp makes Congress's job easy. With the deep state in place, making the rules, Congress doesn't have to legislate anything. They don't have to think about details. More importantly, to them at least, they don't have to take positions that might be unpopular. 
They don't even have to consider whether their policies are actually going to work. They don't have to do anything unpopular that might threaten their chances at re-election. No, no. Congress actually has it easy with a swamp structure in place. All they do is they pass vague laws that defer all the details to the executive, executive agencies who make the rules. And if anything goes wrong, anything goes south, Congress can point their finger in blame at the executive branch instead. So unless we force our elected officials, our Congress members, they're supposed to represent us, unless we force them to reject the administrative state and instead take responsibility for their own legislative jobs, unless our elected officials then reject judicial nominees who would allow the violation of separation of powers, well, I'm sorry to tell you, we're never really going to drain the swamp. Instead, we're going to be left with innumerable Fauci's. We're going to be left with the CDC that rejects science in favor of fear and ideology. Fear and ideology that inspires a child-abusing bus driver to slap a little girl in the face because she pulled her mask under her nose. Speaking of communicating the truth, I would like to invite you and ask you to please subscribe to our email list so that we can always stay in touch. I don't want big tech to rule our relationship, and you shouldn't either. Every day, conservatives like me are being kicked off of social media platforms and podcast platforms, and we never know when that could happen to us. I mean, when or if, but probably when. If you want to make sure that you never lose access to The Liz Wheeler Show, that we never lose access to each other, all the content I'm delivering to you makes it to you, then please join my email list. It's very important to me that we stay in touch if that ever does happen, because regardless, I am here to stay. Big tech will never shut me up. So go to LizWheelerShow.com and drop your email so that I can still reach you if or when Big Tech pulls the plug. LizWheelerShow.com and send me your email to make sure that we can always talk to each other. Okay, now it is time for the five stories the mainstream media refused to report to you this week. Did you miss this segment? I sure did. Okay, story number one. Black Lives Matter rioters looted a jewelry and clothing store in the city of Philadelphia. This happened after the death of George Floyd, and this store has been closed ever since. According to The Federalist, MN Fashion and Jewelry, the store in Philadelphia has been closed ever since these rioters looted it. The owner's name is Massam Sadiq. The story told by The Federalist is chilling. The owner watched his own surveillance cameras as looters decimated his store. He had owned this store for over 20 years. He sells everything, cell phones, games, jewelry. It was ransacked by these criminals, okay? Ransacked by the criminals. Do you wanna know how much they took from him, how much was destroyed? $200,000 worth of goods. He said after this devastation, after he was the victim of this horrendous crime, he had to clean up his store himself. This is what he said, and I quote, everyone was watching, but no one was helping. This man is an immigrant from Bangladesh. He came to America to live the American dream. And then he watched on his own surveillance cameras as Black Lives Matter thugs, rioters, looted his store. As if that's not bad enough, before he was the victim, the victim of this crime, his store had been closed down for two months, two months because of COVID-19 lockdowns. Even after he was allowed to open, this according to Federalist reporting, he was only allowed to have two people in his store at the same time, just two people. This, is store, this story is so horrendous. In the wake of both of these tragedies, he was denied a bank loan. He got no coronavirus aid, none whatsoever. 
He said he had to ask his neighbors for help. The Federalist reports that he now says that he is, quote, suffering profoundly and he has lost everything. This story, I mean, it guts you. Kudos to Gabe Kaminsky at the Federalist for reporting this, but did the mainstream media report this story to you? No. The mainstream media does not care about an immigrant business owner who was not only destroyed by government-mandated lockdowns, but destroyed by Black Lives Matter looters and rioters destroying his store. They don't care. A school board in the state of Oregon is going to require classrooms to fly the American flag. Now, if the sentence stopped there, that might be a pretty good sentence, but I regret to inform you that it's not where the sentence ends. The school board is going to require classrooms to fly the American flag, the Black Lives Matter flag, and the pride flag. The Daily Wire reports that on May 6th, the Gresham Barlow School Board, this is obviously in Gresham, Oregon, updated the district's flag displays and salutes policy to reflect the progressive values of the board. The proposal would require the school board to provide an American flag, pride flag, and BLM flag for each and every classroom. In lieu of a flag, a poster for Black Lives Matter will suffice, according to the policy. Um, One of these school board members wants to ensure that all three flags are the exact same size. She wants to require that. Okay? When someone in this school board meeting brought up the fact that this might cause a problem because not everyone uh, agrees with the narrative of the Black Lives Matter movement or the ideology underpinning a pride flag, one of the board members told the colleague who brought up the concern that she was, quote, pushing white supremacy. So now, if a public school classroom doesn't fly the Black Lives Matter flag and the pride flag, they are pushing white supremacy, and any parent who has a problem is pushing white supremacy. This is, if it it weren't so widespread right now in our country, if this weren't the goal of the radical left, it would be hard to believe. During the same committee meeting, the school board also reviewed the policy, this according to the Daily Wire, on the Pledge of Allegiance. The updated policy asks students to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, quote, at least once each week during school and school year and recite, quote, a land acknowledgement each week and recite the Black National Anthem. A land acknowledgement, for those who might not be familiar, is um, basically saying that you are living on land that was stolen from the Native Americans. But did the mainstream media report on this propaganda, this radical leftist Marxist ideology that a school board is trying to impose on every single classroom in their district? Oh, no. The mainstream media did not care to report on that. They do not care about indoctrination in public schools. Kudos to Chrissy Clark at The Daily Wire for reporting on this. Okay, a Michigan restaurant owner who was jailed, she was put in jail for four days for violating Governor Gretchen Whitmer's COVID-19 restrictions, draconian mandates, says that Whitmer should face the same penalty for violating her own mandates. I don't hate this idea. Why should Whitmer be treated differently than her own citizens? Okay, so we talked about a couple days ago the fact that Gretchen Whitmer was caught. There was a photograph of her that was released violating her own restrictions. She was in a restaurant, a restaurant that was supposed to, because of her dictates, uh, have a capacity limit, and they were only supposed to be six people at a table, and the tables were supposed to be social distanced. Well, Whitmer was at a table with 12 people, and the tables were pushed together, okay? She literally violated her own rules. You cannot make this up. Newsom does it. Pelosi does it. A whole host of local public health officials do it. Gretchen Whitmer is also a hypocrite. She violated this. Then, this is the update to the story, within days after she was caught violating and issued an apology, which I think is garbage, 
she rescinded the COVID restrictions that she violated, right? She rescinded them. She was caught. And then she was like, well, I guess it's over. Let's just take it away. She rescinded them. So the woman who spent four nights in jail, she's the owner of Marlena's Bistro and Pizzeria. Her name is Marleno Pavlos Hackney. And she was reportedly jailed for four nights and fined over $15,000. This is just a couple months ago in February for doing the same thing, for failing to comply with the coronavirus restrictions imposed by Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. This is what the woman says. She goes, Governor Whitmer is our servant. Her duty is to protect us. If I have to face all of these penalties, which I went through, I think she should have to face the same penalties. Well, Marlena, so do I. Because otherwise, it's rules for thee and not for me. What, what makes it different for Whitmer? Because she's the governor? Because she was the one issuing the mandate? Is there an exception for public officials that they don't have to do this stuff? No, there isn't. But did the mainstream media report on Whitmer's horrible hypocrisy? No, of course they didn't. More than one-third of restaurants in the state of California were forced to close for COVID-19 lockdowns. Uh, they are now shut down forever. There are a total of 76,000 eating establishments in the state of California, a third of those, 30%. Do you know how many that is? Tens of thousands are never going to open again. They went bust because of the COVID-19 lockdowns. This is terrible. This is terrible. Okay? So there are almost 2 million restaurant workers in the state of California, and it's not just a matter. So there are many restaurants now who are actually having trouble getting employees to come back to work, even as the restrictions are loosened. And part of the reason is because the restaurant workers would rather collect unemployment. They can actually make more money collecting state unemployment and federal COVID unemployment. And so they have no incentive to work because they're getting paid more to do nothing than they would be doing actual work. So that's part of the problem. But the other problem is a lot of these workers, after they were furloughed and brought back and re-furloughed and brought back, they have no confidence in this industry anymore. They're actually looking for jobs in other industries because it's more stable employment. Meanwhile, a third of restaurants in the state of California that were shut down because of COVID, not because of COVID. Let me be very precise here. They were shut down because of the COVID lockdowns, thanks to Newsom. They're never going to reopen their doors. That's devastating to the California state economy. It's devastating to these business owners who poured their hearts and souls and their bank accounts into their businesses and the people that work for them and their families, their children and their spouses who rely on them. A third are closed for good. But did the mainstream media report, not just on the story, but on the cause, that the lockdowns, the politician-inflicted lockdowns and not the COVID virus itself caused this devastation? No, they did not. They don't even mention it. Okay, the husband of a mayor who said that she wanted to reimagine the police, the husband of this woman was just busted for selling cocaine. You cannot make this up. Okay, it's the Rochester mayor. Her name is Lovely Warren. And she wants to reimagine police. She said the police, quote, are a military organization that technically is supposed to answer to, to civilians that doesn't mesh well. Okay, so she actually made a plan for police reform and she, it is essentially defunding the police, right? She wants to downsize the police force and give the money elsewhere. And in the meantime, as she wants to do this reimagining of police to shrink the police force, her husband was allegedly, he hasn't been convicted yet, allegedly peddling cocaine as part of a drug ring in the city. Yeah, his name is Timothy Granison, and he was arrested after a search warrant on their home. 
This was an investigation that reportedly, according to Front Page Mag, spanned seven months. It led to the seizure of two kilos of powdered and crack cocaine and valued around $60,000, three guns, and more than $100,000. No wonder she wanted to reimagine the police. By the way, she herself has also been arrested before. She and two of her political associates were arrested and indicted on felony charges connected to campaign finance violations. This was alleged, alleged to have happened in 2017. So let's get this straight. She's been arrested by the police and indicted for a crime. Her husband has just been arrested and indicted for a very serious drug crime. And this woman politically, her policy stance is that she wants to reimagine policing. <laughs> I mean, this kind of nut job, who even voted for her? This is absolutely ridiculous. But did the mainstream media report on this? This absolutely insane progressive hypocrisy. No, they didn't. Since they will not report it to you, I will. I always will. It's great to be back to this segment. I absolutely love reporting to you what the mainstream media won't report. Oh, wait, look at that. We have a review. Oh, this is the best review that we've gotten from the podcast or for the podcast yet. It says, I thought this show was going to be about weed. <laughs> Pretty boring. This individual says, oh my goodness, one star. One star. He gave this show one star. Well, I am sorry to disappoint my good sir, but this show is not about weed. Although I would venture to guess that perhaps you need to watch this show. I invite you to come back regardless of what you've been doing or smoking before. And I think that you will, you will benefit from this show. Okay. One star. How dare he? The great and powerful Jay Hay, my producer, is telling me that we are out of time. We have more to talk about. We have more next week. If you missed this week's episodes about Fauci funding the pandemic or why the Derek Chauvin verdict should be overturned because it was fundamentally unfair, please go listen and watch. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought. Question authority. Always question authority. Follow the facts. And don't let government or corporate wokeism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Download the episodes. Give us a five-star ratings. No one-star ratings. Nothing about weed. Write us a glowing review. Nothing about marijuana. And please, this helps us climb the charts, which helps other people hear the reality that we are speaking on the show. Thank you so much for watching. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. 